developing your passion into a business with Shopify and break sales records with the world's best converting checkout. Let's hear that one more time. The world's best converting checkout. Shopify's legendary checkout makes it easier for customers to shop on your website, across social media, and everywhere in between. Now that's music to your ears. Any way you spin it, you can be a smash hit with Shopify. Start your dollar a month trial today at shopify.com slash records. You're listening to the Archaeology Podcast Network. You're listening to Tea Break Time Travel, where every month we look at a different archaeological object and take you on a journey into their past. Hello and welcome to episode 20 of Tea Break Time Travel. I am your host, Matilda Ziebrecht. Very excited that we're hitting 20 episodes. I know that some shows on this channel have like hundreds, but for me, it's very exciting to hit 20. And today I am savoring a rooibos chai tea, which is quite nice for this time of morning, actually. And joining me on my tea break today from the other side of the world, all the way over in New Zealand, is professional tattoo artist Daniel Ridde, known on his social platforms, so you might know him better as Totemic Tattoo. Welcome. Daniel and what are you drinking today you also on tea I guess it's evening for you so you might not necessarily be on a hot beverage (laughs) I'm not on a hot beverage at the moment it's 8 25 in the evening you're tonight I suppose it is and um no but I am a avid coffee drinker (laughs) I grew up in Seattle where that's just what we drink instead of water but uh I like to get creative with my coffees I I put chai spices in there chocolate Mm. and honey all sorts (gasps) It's always an adventure. It's not the same as because I had an Italian guest on at some point and he was saying, no, it's espresso. Like that's, that's the only coffee that you can have is espresso. But that's, I guess, not. Well, it's uh, espresso coffee. I'm just throwing a lot of other stuff in there. <laughs> Fair enough. A little bit of flavoring. Oh, yeah, and, and you know, like shameless uh, promotion here. Whenever I'm drinking a hot beverage, I drink it out of a mug made by my talented wife, who is a ceramicist. Who is extremely talented. And I also have one of her mugs, which I'm very <laughs> although i need to i'm so happy i admit to see that you guys are moving back to europe soon yes. um, because i was pouring tea into my wonderful mug from from your wife from julie and the lid of the teapot fell off and it chipped the end the edge of the uh, mug okay. and i was I mean, so disappointed such but is it, life I mean, it's still usable and I stuck it back on, but just I'm now nervous about using it, uh, like washing it up and stuff. I'm really careful with it. Yeah. Anyway, so unfortunately, um, I may have to get another one. I mean, uh, you know, such is life. Hard, hard, hard times. Yeah, Yeah, we're we're set up to move in uh, in April. We'll be setting up in France (laughs) and uh, in the tattoo studio. I will be building over there in Dordogne. We will also be supplying ceramics, pottery, figurines, jewelry and other such cool stuff. Very cool. And they are very cool. I, anyone listening, I would, I'll put in the show notes both yeah, Daniel yeah, right, but also cool. Julie's Instas and stuff so that you can see because they are beautiful creations. <laughs> but uh, yes, all good. This is what, this is the place for shameless self-promotion. <laughs> <laughs> so welcome, Daniel. But as well as being very artistic and very, very good in things, your main focus, I suppose, uh, in terms of work, in terms of creativity is tattooing, which is a very specific craft you are our first tattoo artist i believe them um, that we've had on the on the podcast mm-hmm. what 
made you decide to go down that route? Was it something that you always wanted to do when you were younger? Was it something you kind of fell into? In my family, art has been always taken really seriously. I spent a lot of time with my grandmother when I was young. She was a painter. Her parents were both painters at a professional level. My grandmother and her, her two sisters opened a art gallery that I spent a lot of time at when I was a kid. Oh, cool. <laughs> and I've said it before and I'll say it again. Every child is an artist until they're told not to be. <laughs> so the lucky ones uh, are just always encouraged rather than told off or made to do something that is quote unquote more important. Mm-hmm. And art is now supporting my family as it did, you know, my great grandparents. Yeah. And it's uh, something I moved into in different ways throughout my adult life. I used to do childcare work, actually, and I spent a lot of time drawing pictures for children to color in. Oh, gosh. I thought you were about to say I spent a lot of time tattooing, tattooing the children. Remember, we don't have that on the podcast. I moved into tattooing when I transitioned out of childcare work. Uh, I had been traveling a lot in my 20s, and when I was able to settle down and find a good teacher, I, I settled into a kind of classical mentor and apprentice relationship. And uh, I was living in Brussels. My teacher was in Holland. I was going up there two days a week to learn from him. And he instilled a lot of good values and artistic integrity, things like that. Hmm. Um, And when you, because I noticed as well that you have an apprentice now as well. Yes, I do. So when that that situation takes place in terms of art, I'm just curious um, because I've never experienced it myself. I mean, I imagine there might be some stylistic, not copying, but kind of you just automatically get a little bit of the style of the mentor. Or do you find that it's very distant? So it's very kind of individual. I suppose that would be a kind of person to person scenario, you know, I I definitely inspired some things from my mentor, but didn't take on everything that he was doing. He had a very specific um, repertoire and and mine turned out to be quite different. We overlapped in the beginning with some sort of stylistically Japanese imagery, but I moved away from that when I started hand poking because he trained me as a machine artist and I did that for, for a few years before I made the switch to traditional methods. So now I don't use machines and I haven't for years. And Mm -hmm. I feel ashamed to admit that I'm not sure I would remember how to use them now. (laughs) (laughs) After all the training. (laughs) (laughs) That's inevitable. And what made you go that route in terms of going the more traditional methods and and I guess more, it's sort of almost prehistory inspired, I suppose you could say. (laughs) In a lot of ways, it it is the, the result of my fascination with ancient art Paleolithic mm-hmm. style art and things like that. I had done one or two tattoos in ancient looking styles, but with machines and they had come out really tidy and clean. And that just didn't sit right with me. I wanted to, I wanted a bit of like archaic ruggedness and yeah, it, it needed to look like it had been painted on a cave wall and machines were just not giving that result. I couldn't pull myself away from the fascination of hand poking, but then that didn't even stop me because I've moved in now to doing incision tattooing, which is also scratching an itch of curiosity and, uh, <laughs> and, uh, and experimentation with different tools, cactus needles, bird bones, mammoth ivory, sharp rocks, all sorts. Um, it's been it's been a journey. 
<laughs> and uh, your customers are happy for you to I'm just, they, I can imagine I guess they go to you they know that they're going to get something a little different and they know that they're going to get something more unique so they don't really question wait is that a is that a cactus needle <laughs> that you're using or, or do you get a little bit of pushback <laughs> <laughs> the cactus needles or those those other things I usually would reserve just for experimental archaeology and get into the project that Aaron Dieterwolf and I took on in a little <laughs> bit but to answer your question for the most part I'm using normal standard sterilized tattoo machine mm. needles they're, they're just you know the most convenient yeah. they give the best results i use those every day but in my day-to-day if somebody requests some kind of specifically cave art style imagery i like to also do a little touch of it with little handmade needles i make with uh, mammoth ivory fragments <laughs> that i Mm-hmm. by as uh, broken pieces off cuts from when excavators find entire tusks but they can't restore each little piece so i buy that in bulk i shape it into needles i clean them i put them through a medical autoclave and i um, tattoo with them but they dull rather quickly and i can't reuse them again safely so i donate them to the client after each session and i do the same with microblades like microlithic obsidian flint and chert lithic tools for very specific types of tattoos they don't those tools can't make a myriad of different marks it's very specific what they can and can't do but i do the same thing with those as well okay i like that i remember hearing a story about a doctor it was a kind of experimental archaeology project and they'd asked a surgeon if he could use some obsidian tools instead of the kind of normal scalpel it wasn't for like a you know major surgery or anything it was sort of like a smaller scale one yes let's take this cancer out and let me try using this obsidian tool no i can't remember what the surgery was now but it was something that you know it would be okay to use maybe a different tool and obviously it was all sterilized and everything and the doctor was so impressed with how sharp the blade kept how well it cut and all this kind of thing that he kept using them afterwards like he, he kept that was sort of I, yeah i've heard about that tools. same that same experiment <laughs> if i'm correct there might be people listening who will tell me i'm wrong but i'd like to learn so speak to me if you find that what i'm going to say is incorrect but obsidian if properly napped can break on an edge only one molecule mm-hmm. thick making it 100 times sharper than a surgical scalpel. Mm-hmm. I mean, after having worked a lot of obsidian and my fingers being in tatters afterwards, I, I can definitely say it's sharp. <laughs> um, it's, uh, yeah. yeah. So, so actually what I find is interesting, I've given a lot of thought to that because every time you're doing some obsidian working, you end up with little cuts, right? Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> everybody who's tried it has ended up with little cuts and you don't notice it first because it's so sharp. I notice mm, most yeah. of the time because, oh, my, my wrist is cold. <laughs> Why is my wrist cold? Oh, it's wet. Oh, it's blood. <laughs> yeah. And so what I think is like tattoos can be as old as, let's say, like use and or domestication of fire where you get common interaction with soot powder, charcoal powder, those kinds of things. Let's say you're like napping a piece of obsidian to make an arrowhead and you go shoot mm. a duck and then you go to cook it. You might have gotten a little cut while you're napping and you might have gotten like grease or, or fat or oil from the animal and then touch some charcoal or soot powder on a piece of wood that you're burning. You mm-hmm. could probably get an accidental tattoo that way. I haven't tried to, you know, hurt myself and go cook meat. Um, but it stands to reason that 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 magical, you know, in combination, open skin, binding agent and pigment is not that difficult of a, of a situation to come across in hunter-gatherer societies. 
I like that theory. I don't think it would have taken, it was my mentor actually who was telling me this idea. This was his theory. But that's, that's the kind of person I learned from. So these were the questions I had in my head from the very beginning of my training in this world. Yeah. Oh, amazing. Yeah. I like that idea that it just sort of happened by accident. (laughs) But then as well, imagine it happened by accident and then people started to to catch on, you know, like so many yeah. other things. And then, like, oh, that looks cool. How did you do that? Oh, I don't know. Uh, let's, let's try some things and see if we can replicate it. Ooh, oh, oh, yeah. that's cool. Oh. And yeah, being <laughs> so. the first uh, the first family group or tribe to show back up at that salmon run or caribou hunt with decorated skin, you know, how cool would you look? Yeah. And then a few generations down the line, you would be the people with the zigzags, you know, you would yeah. identify yeah, as that yeah. cultural group and people would know you by your by your zigzags it would just be it's so the progression is just so logical to me i find it really fascinating to to think about yeah that's i hadn't even included that as a discussion question but i this is perfect because indeed i hadn't even thought of that but like of course what's the origin of tattooing you always think of it for any other material or any other kind of technology and i guess people always just assume oh yeah it just happened but indeed how would it have happened i like that theory that's a, a nice theory and because today, of course, we are uh, on a tea break, but we are doing some time traveling. I, of course, have to ask, if you could travel back in time, where would you go and why? For those of you who are familiar with the Chauvet Cave in France, it's a marvel of the ancient world. And uh, the, the, the genuine cave, the real cave, is, is closed to visitation, but the museum is remarkable. But I would choose to go watch the painter prepare their paintbrushes and and prepare the, the wall by scraping it smooth and just get ready and let the anticipation build for those those iconic streaks across the, the cave wall to make what turns out to be a mammoth, a bison, the, the horn of a rhinoceros. and That's the one with the famous horse, right? That's that would be that Peshmel. One... Peshmel has the, Peshmel. The, 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 the dotted horse. Maybe I'm thinking of that one. I, remember I went, there was one I went those, in like, that cave this horse. summer. It was remarkable. Oh, really? Oh, wow. The fat horse, there's fat horses in most of them. Lascaux has uh, more yeah. fat horses than Chauvet, I think. Chauvet okay. is famous for a fresco of lions uh, all looking at something. It, it has yeah. bison. It has a really nice uh, megaloceros. It has uh, a rhinoceros. It has a lot. It's ex- exceptional. Oh, uh, and it's no. about double the age of Lascaux as well, which makes it... Okay. It's a, it's a wonder. Yeah, it is incredible to think that how talented and how artistic and indeed the planning that must have gone into it. I mean, I imagine it's something similar when you're tattooing. You have to think of the shape of the arm or the shape of the thing, like they were looking at the shape of of different things. And Yes. Yeah, that's why this style plays so well into tattooing, because as it flows around different parts of the body, the image comes to life in a way that it can't do on paper or in 2D anyway. Yeah, that's really yeah. fun to play around with. It's like a unending kind of puzzle to put together for different people, different projects, and I love what I do. So yeah, helps. And uh, do you often have like you'll have a design and then you'll suggest to people, oh, this would go really well on this part of the body, <laughs> or uh, do you kind of adapt the design depending on where they want it to be? It really depends. If people have a specific request, we usually speak beforehand and design it to fit their body. But also I have just a lot of art that's available art. So I'm going to a tattoo convention next weekend or something. And there'll be a lot of art that's pre-prepared if people want just like a little, you know, mammoth silhouette or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. It'll be fun. 
Yeah, it'll be good. Well, thank you very much for joining my tea break today. And I guess most of you listening have probably guessed what we're going to look at today. But before we go into more detail, we're going to journey back to around 3100 BC to the northern part of Africa, what we now call Egypt. It is, of course, a very hot day, but we managed to find shelter in the shade of a nearby building along with several other people. One of these people is a young woman sitting on the ground beside another figure who is bent over her arm, eyes closed in concentration. The woman we see is seems calm, although she is gritting her teeth slightly. We move a bit closer and see that the area below her shoulder has already been decorated with three black, wavy, almost S-shaped symbols, all in varying stages of healing. And beneath them, the figure beside her is now creating another symbol, one hand cutting the fresh skin into small pricks, while the other is rubbing soot from a nearby pot into the freshly carved wounds. So today we are looking at, indeed, tattooing tools, which we've already gone to into a little bit. And actually, before we get to the Google search questions, I need to ask because I couldn't find what method they would have been using in, in this time in Egypt. But maybe you have a better, was that was that at all correct, that time travel? Or was that just a figment of my imagination? It was very correct in most ways. And <laughs> That's a very positive outlook of it. <laughs> and it is very hard to find the kind of information on what uh, tattooing technique and or tool would have been used in which particular ancient culture because that information is that those kinds of questions are not asked often and the people who mm. have answers to them are very few so i do a lot of my proper science and archaeology work with a proper scientist who is an archaeologist dr aaron Dieterwolf, <laughs> who will be coming on next month which is yes. very exciting <laughs> very exciting when he and i have a close look at the images we've been able to find on Egyptian mummy tattoos from dynastic Egypt, we find that the tattoos we're seeing are hand-poked tattoos, so not incised, like mm. which would be to cut and rub mm -hmm. the skin with pigment into it, but definitely poked. So I'm thinking prickly pear thorns, it could be ostrich bone tattooing needles, it could be copper if I was affluent i would be using gold and or copper maybe bronze tattooing needles but gold is a bit too soft it would just be really flashy uh, <laughs> literally yeah. um, but yes for, for dynastic egyptian mummy tattoos it seems that what i've seen and what i can confirm with aaron is hand poked not incised although northern africa does have tattoo incision incision tattoos as part of some traditional practices today mm -hmm. but we haven't seen that in the egyptian mummies that are preserved that i've seen maybe if somebody has access to other images of other mummies i would really be interested in seeing those hmm. oh there you go if anyone there happens to have some pictures for us or a mummy lying around <laughs> you know who to contact um, you, you never know there might be someone going oh yeah my grandma oh, had that mummy <laughs> let me check the attic well and so usually at this point i go to google and i search the object and it comes up with a lot of lovely autofill most asked questions on the internet weirdly with tattooing tools and tattooing methods not much came up even when i added in you know ancient and, and things there was sort of very little uh, out there on the internet but of course the standard question that came up was oldest so you know what is the oldest tattoo tool what is the oldest tattoo method and we've already talked a little bit about that already but would would you be able to say definitively what kind of the oldest tool and the oldest method might be yes actually so oh, there you go. <laughs> i knew there was a reason i asked you on here <laughs> it was uh microware analysis that confirmed turkey bone tools 
discovered in Tennessee at 3,600 to 5,500 years old. <gasps> Confirmed as the world's oldest tattooing tools. So, like known currently to science and analyzed and uh, not disputed. <laughs> in so many archaeological digs, there are implements, leather punching awls, needles that could have been sewing needles. There, there are spikes and punches and drill tips and things like that, that so many of them very well might be tattooing tools, <laughs> but mislabeled like a hairpin or something like that. <laughs> it would take decades to, you know, carefully go through museum archives and, and analyze these kinds of things. And I'm not an archaeologist and I don't have decades to do that kind of stuff. <laughs> there are people out there who are trying to answer those questions like Aaron Dieterwolf. And um, maybe you can ask him a bit about his microware analysis information, mm -hmm. his techniques. Mm -hmm. But I mean, the implements that could have been used in tattooing are a common thing, I think, in mm -hmm. archaeological discoveries. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. But but indeed, there's, that's the sort of the old. Which you think if that's the oldest one that's been confirmed, potentially it was thousands of years before that. Even that they started doing the tattooing process with other tools or with other things. Yeah, just absolutely. The yeah, there there was a few other ones that in Aaron and Lars's book Archaeology Inc., which is mm -hmm. a fantastic read, by the way. You can also read a little bit about a pre-dynastic woman in Egypt. In her tomb, they've included awls, like bone awls and small microblades, which could have been used in tattooing, mm -hmm. 3600 BCE. Copper Age Romania, there were needles bound into like a comb, which we would use in tattooing as a tool called a magnum. It's um, for pushing ink into the skin more rapidly than a single point would do. And that's... Uh, 4,500 to 4,200 BCE. Wow. The, 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 the potential for tattooing tools in the archaeological record is quite huge. Yeah. And if the people that really start a genuine hunt, can, mm. yeah, I would just go with some stuff. There. Yeah. Well, well, we'll get more into that in a second, but first, let's just have a very quick break and we will be back soon. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh, yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com. Welcome back, everyone. So we've already spoken quite a bit about the different kind of tattooing tools, but seeing as we have you here, Daniel, we're going to poke you ha, ha, for as many as many answers <laughs> as we can while we have such an expert in our midst. So we've already talked a bit about kind of the kinds of tools from different sites that could generally be associated with tattooing. So you mentioned the, the any sort of needle or all any kind of comb, I think uh, you said, any kind of blade. Is there anything? I use the word comb more as like a needles found in a row. Yeah, yeah. Okay. When we look at like, say, Polynesian traditional tattooing implements, they're, they're, what called, they're, they're what's called combed, which would mean that just it's a, it's a flat bone and or like turtle shell plate with the very 
you know, last tip of it carved into needles all oh, in a row. Yeah. <laughs> made for just putting more ink in more quickly. So that's what I meant by combed object. Yes. Yeah. Rather than just like taking your hair comb and. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That would be really brittle and really foolish because you'd ruin your comb really quickly. as well, right? Yeah. Like, <laughs> that would be painful. Like, you're getting it in. the skin. Because how small, I mean, I imagine that the, the needle tip only really goes in a couple of millimeters if that's yeah, like two two mil depends it depends what part of the body there's tougher skin like back of the hand and softer skin um armpit or like you know ribs some areas oh, you have to be man. really gentle some areas you have to be really kind of tough so it just depends a bit depends if that person has spent a lot of time with heavy sun exposure or doing hard work or has worked with chemicals some things toughen up the skin but yes in general around two millimeters it just kind of yeah, I can imagine God, the microwave. So I do microwave as well. And so I can imagine the trying to look at just that last two millimeter and trying to think if that is that a is that a trace or is that just, you know, that someone Oh, I'm glad I don't it. have to do it. I, I'm, I'm not, uh, I'm a patient person, but not for that kind of <laughs> analysis. So uh, I, I just work with better people than myself and I'm lucky to do that. It's, you're delegating. This is good. It's uh, <laughs> delegating. Uh, no, I'm being invited to participate in other people's <laughs> projects as a, a specialist consultant for for the weird stuff that I know about. Yeah, that's perfect. Well, that's why that's why you're yeah, here. So it works apparently. But are there any? So you've got the kind of the needles or the blades or the things that actually should we say like push push into the skin or kind mm -hmm. of permeate into the skin. But are there any other? tools or any other associated I don't know pots oh, for yeah. the soot or, or anything like that that could also be associated with tattooing on a site absolutely the one that's really quite remarkable is Filipovka 1 year 400 BCE a Sarmatian burial site necropolis that has complete tattooing sets with mixing palettes with pestles single point tools with ink pouches that the needle is actually left in a leather pouch with pigment. Oh. It also has scraping spoons, bronze mirror, and long gold needles, some of which are eyed needles, which I'm dubious that they would have been used for what we call skin stitch tattooing, because <gasps> that practice is really centered around the Arctic Circle, practiced in indigenous populations around the Arctic Circle. And a little bit, it, it did extend into Siberia and parts of that. It, it's possible that Maybe, but I would say unlikely. And the, the issue is that, that that site is Sarmatian and we don't have any mummies from the Sarmatian Empire that we can con compare their tattoos and look at the different marks made and say this was stitched in with a needle and thread or this was poked in or whatever. Mm -hmm. We have the, the Scythian Pazarek tattoos, or Pazarek tattoos. Oh, right, yes, the, the mummies. But those are uh, definitely made with, with different tools. So to answer your question as well, different tools, you know, different materials, different needle arrangements uh, leave different marks and different hafting methods. So how you attach that needle to something mm. makes changes as well. So across Polynesia, you're seeing hand tapping where it's fixed at a 90 degree angle to a stick and then tapped with percussive force by another stick. In Japan, you have tibori where you're, you're hafting it to a another stick and then pushing it into the skin at one angle, but different than Sakyant, which is Southeast Asia and, and Cambodia held at a different angle on the end of a long stick. There's, it's, <laughs> there's, there's wow. different tattooing uh, in combinations, needle arrangements and tool types for the pretty much each different culture. 
each island in Polynesia has different ones. It's it's a rabbit hole. I seem to know somehow that you did a project for uh, as part of I think it was from Exarch you got funding, and I think from somewhere else you got funding to look at all these different tattooing methods and everything. So I think you've already written up some of the results of that in the Exarch journal, but maybe you could, you could elaborate a little bit here. So you can even tell the difference between a needle that is hafted on one stick but done at a different angle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, actually. So the project was funded by Exarch. That was really cool. Uh, Aaron and I jumped into it with the help of our friend Maya, who's Inuit Tattoo Traditions on Instagram. She's advising on part of the project to, to tell us how to go about doing skin stitching to analyze that uh, as part of our research. And my friend um, Mokunui Orangi-Smith, who's a traditional tomoko, that's like Maori tattoo artist, from here in New Zealand, he came down to help with the hand tapping in that uh, project. So the basis of it was to make the same tattoo, uh, the same identical mark eight different times with eight different tools and analyze the results to see how they heal, how they look different, and under microscopic analysis, analyze the tattoos over months of healing time and the tools as well before and after use. Mm -hmm. um, and it was important to do this project on living human skin so that it does heal mm -hmm. rather than a lot of uh, science does their experiments on pig skin or, or you yeah. know, like deceased pig carcasses, but that doesn't go through a healing process and mm -hmm. we lose a lot of important data. And uh, am I correct in saying it's you who have the, the tattoos on you? Yep, so it was like 13 <laughs> hours of tattooing my leg. Oh. And um, my friend Moko Smith came down from Auckland to do the two hand tapping tattoos. But the rest was, yeah, we did. Oh, let's see if I can name them off in order. There was um, <laughs> <laughs> hand uh, poking with a, a spike made of obsidian. So a, a really sharp um, oh, wow. kind okay. of puncturing spike. Skin stitching. So under the guidance of Maya. Quick question. Uh, the, the skin stitching, does the needle actually go all the way like the complete needle has to go it's like sewing a piece of leather yeah. or something you yeah, go all the way exactly under the skin what it's like. oh how yeah. I, I imagine they must be very very thin then these needles oh <laughs> the, the interesting thing was she had to instruct me on how to make eyed needles from bird bone you know over <sighs> over instagram chats uh, and she had to do it to convince me to make them small enough that I could use them functionally, but not break them in the crafting process. I, I, yeah. I spent months making these needles and I break about two out of every three I would attempt. Mm -hmm. They're exceptionally difficult to make, even with, you know, like, you know, metal tools, uh, yeah. hand tools, you know. Yeah. And so by the time I was ready to use this, uh, you know, sterilized bird bone needle, um, it was pretty thin, pretty fine, but I, the, the women who's do, who do these traditional tattoos uh, within the Arctic Circle, uh, I take my hat off to them. This is a extremely technical, very difficult tattooing technique and yeah. with the expertise that they must have to create the marks that they, that they do is remarkable. And so this was just something I was being instructed on how to perform for this experiment, but I don't have it as part of my practice. I, I didn't <laughs> culturally appropriate no. this this technique. It was just to answer a few questions under the um, guidance of a indigenous mm -hmm. tattoo practitioner, and yeah. I have not done it since. So, <laughs> I mean, it is because also there's a lot of facial tattoos in Inuit. Oh, yes, me. chin, chin, and side of the Which eye, then, side of the face, and that's also done with this sewing technique. Maybe you should um, have oh, my honest guess and, and ask her, yeah, because <laughs> uh, she's she's learning quite a lot. Yeah.
about historical stuff as well. She's yeah, yeah, ah. she's on a quest. <laughs> but yeah, so yeah, the, yeah. Oh, the process basically is um, make an eyed needle, dip the shortcut thread into tattoo ink, puncture the skin with the needle, pass the needle and thread through the thread oh. itself leaves mm-hmm. pigment under the skin and quite a lot I of it. See. And I think as well, part of what she had explained is that within their population, the, the, the skin is a little bit different than like, like my skin mm-hmm. um, as a Caucasian person. So mm-hmm. I think it comes, you know, we, we, we got data for our project. We can now identify <laughs> skin stitch tattoos if we see them mm-hmm. on, you know, mummies because they have a specific yeah. uh, mark that they leave the, the, the pattern right. is, yeah, is traceable. The footprint okay. of it, the, the signature of it is traceable. Yeah. So there was those two. I so also sorry, did... Yes. <laughs> oh, that's all right. Um, hand poking with a deer bone needle, hand poking with a copper needle, hand poking with a standard tattoo needle for kind of like a... Like a control. Control, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> and hand tapping with a single point tool, hand tapping with a combed tool and... Oh, I feel like I'm forgetting one, and Aaron's probably going to laugh at me. <laughs> the obvious oh, one. And if you're curious, go and read the Exarch. Uh, <laughs> there you go. I'll put it in the show notes. That's a, show, That's a shameless teaser. self-promotion. <laughs> oh, yeah. Awesome. Okay. Yeah. And then, of course, so I imagine in in many, many years to come, when you unfortunately are no longer with us, you're going to mummify, and therefore future scientists will be able to analyze your skin and how, well, it, how it preserves. My wife rolls her eyes when I talk process. about that, but yes, that's actually still the plan. Yeah. Is that actually the plan? Sure, why not? I need to meet a mummification specialist who's younger and healthier than myself. <laughs> Probably a grad student. <laughs> yes. I mean, that is dedication to the course, I must say. Like, oh, I'm excited, had... you know. Who doesn't yeah. want to be mummified and left in a tomb? I, I think I'm going to spend most of my, like, 50s building an elaborate tomb. <laughs> it's going to be awesome. Oh, I'm that's so amazing. That's fantastic. Oh, I well, maybe, maybe if I'm around, <laughs> I, mean, I look forward to seeing it. <laughs> but hopefully I won't be because it'll be many years to come. But uh, um, anyway, uh, very cool. Very cool. I mean, because, yes, of course, that is also something I imagine the tattoos that you that you see and I'm, I'm going to ask Aaron about this a bit more as well uh, next month but I'm curious on your opinion of it as the as from the artistic perspective or from the art perspective yeah, mm-hmm. it must be quite different or quite difficult to identify the, the the technique and the tool on a mummified body compared to a, a live healed body yes and Aaron has a lot more let's say technical information about why that's true <laughs> the, the taphonomy, so that would be like mm. the mummification process where the epidermis tends to not survive, it has a lot to, to do with it. But what we can also say is it's a pretty safe bet to say that Egyptian tattooing methods were not done via the hand tapping method, although it's commonly thought of as the world's oldest method. It's mm. it's very regionally specific to Southeast Asia and Polynesia. It doesn't seem to pop up in other places. Okay. Yeah, there's there's a lot of, um, what would that be, ethnographic data to consider when making claims about which mummies have which tattoo process. Which I was also going to ask, actually, in terms of the the techniques and the tools that you just mentioned for this experiment, was was that based mainly on kind of ethnographic studies? Was it also based on archaeological ones that you didn't know where they could have come from? Uh, I mean, are there there archaeological tools or or things from archaeology that don't survive that haven't continued in tradition in tattooing traditions probably i'd have to give it some thought to answer the first part of that question we wanted a a broad uh, spectrum of different techniques so that we could 
isolate and, and, and point out different individual differences. Mm, so yeah. we, we kind of took a kind of broad, so we didn't include Sakyant, which would be Southeast Asian uh, needle sticks to a long one. stick. And we didn't yeah. include Tibori. We could uh, do that in the future. I, I don't want that to be my last XR project regarding tattoos because it was <laughs> such a really fun success. And we have other potential archaeology projects coming up. Aaron and Dr. Gino Kispari and I are looking at Bezerik tattoos from You're working with Gino as well. It's such Ooh, a small yeah. world. <laughs> I know. Yeah. You know? <laughs> okay. Yeah, we're just getting started. It started off with a conversation looking at whether or not you can tell the difference in the tattooing work done on different tattoos on a single mummy. And uh, (laughs) is that interesting? And uh, then it it also involved me getting ahead of myself, taking on more projects than I had time for and building what would be my best guess at what the traditional tool would have been for that culture to make the Mm -hmm. tattoos that we're seeing. Because Mm -hmm. although the Scythians and Sarmatians overlapped and because they were culturally not very different from each other, we have Sarmatian tattooing toolkits, but no tattooed mummies from Sarmatia. We don't know what their tattoos would have been like. We do have mummies from the Bezeric, which would have been a subgroup of the Scythian Empire. And we don't have any tattooing tools from that culture, only the mummies that have tattoos. So I'm making a tool that would be my best guess at what the what we would be looking for in the archaeological record and most of it is biodegradable which is probably why we're not finding exactly yeah right yeah yeah. oh because i mean i'll I'll post some of that stuff pretty soon so maybe if people are curious i'll I'll post my my progress on that yeah well this episode will be released when will this one be released end of january so cool i guess hopefully i can have it done by then yeah (laughs) (laughs) there you go that's your deadline (laughs) but um, but amazing yeah because i guess that's similar to to like studies on clothes and things as well that the clothes themselves aren't actually you know, early clothes are not preserved in the archaeological records. So there's so much imagination used of, of what they could do. And I imagine as well, when it comes to tattoos, if you use different methods with the same tool, does that also lead, or is that just not possible? Like if, if you would have the same tool and would use different methods with that tool, would that be possible, A? And would that leave, if it is possible, would that leave different tattoo types as well? I suppose, yes. I can think of the example being, imagine these large, what we're calling comb needles from, from Polynesia. Mm-hmm. It's a wide you know, plate with, with little needles at the bottom and a row attached to the end of a stick. Now, if you tap it straight down, it makes a, a line of dots. If you tap it straight down several times in one spot, it makes a straight line, like a filled line, you know? Okay. <laughs> and then if you turn it sideways and move up and down, it can fill in black or you, you can change angles. So if you're watching uh-huh. those tattoos come into fruition, that tool can do a lot. It, it can make lines, it can make thin lines, and it can fill solid air, solid areas. Uh-huh. That would be an example of one that's quite differently shaped than many others, and it is multifunctional. But a uh-huh. single spike like a single sharp point is pretty limited in what it can achieve. Okay. I mean, it's not, it just takes time. You can create a large complex tattoo with it, but it would take time. And it, it's not a great tool to do things like pack in a lot of black. So for these uh, mummies from like Pezarek and things like that, they would probably be using a, a shading tool, a multi-pronged tattooing implement which would mm-hmm. keep ink trapped between tightly bound needles through surface tension that could be repeatedly oh. poked into the skin 
mm-hmm. and it covers more area with each poke than just a single needle. Oh, almost like a big thick highlighter, <laughs> kind of yeah. like just going <laughs> going across everything. Interesting. And then you mentioned earlier the that the cutting also the if you're, if you're using the cutting technique with blades, it's only possible to create. I guess it's hard to do like curves <laughs> and things if you have a blade or. It is because most of the time the blades we're making are shaped a bit like a thumbnail, right? You know, it has a a curved surface to it, right? And that curved surface doesn't like to get turned sideways in skin. It prefers to cut straight lines. It leaves very recognizable marks because it has an entry uh, cut and then an exit where it's thinner on both ends, tapered on both ends. That's one of the the, the easiest to identify. And that, if you know, I'm recalling what I talked about a minute ago, is the eighth tattoo in that (laughs) that (laughs) experiment. There we go. (laughs) It uh, was claimed that Utsi, everybody's favorite Iceman, was tattooed via cutting techniques. Mm -hmm. But that claim is... probably disproven now because we have the science to back it up (laughs) (laughs) our best guess based on our analysis of different tools techniques ethnographic data is that he was probably tattooed with a bone spike and or copper spike because he had a copper headed axe we wanted to include a copper needle in our tests Uh Um, you speak with Aaron more about that his his analysis really covers that kind of things well and he's the one that actually wrote up our little article about um, that information. There you go. Well, yeah. I look forward. I will definitely be <laughs> questioning him uh, about that. Well, thank you so much. We're going to have another quick break now so that our listeners can top up their tea and get themselves a snack, but we will be back very soon. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh, yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome back, everybody. I hope that the teacups are now fuller and the biscuit jar is emptier. So, Daniel, we already did introduce you and kind of a bit of your experience and how you got into this at the start of the episode. But I always like to go a little bit more detailed into that now in terms of how this relates to what you do and, and how your experience with this has been. So, first of all, you, you've already mentioned a lot. You collaborate with archaeologists, with other tattoo artists to look at these ancient tattoos. But would you say there's maybe a little bit of a difference in how you approach the kind of the research or the research questions compared to, shall we say, a more traditional, inverted quotes, um, academic (laughs) approach to the topic? Yeah, that's actually a really good question. So I'm a layman. I have no professional archaeological training or university education, but I have a photographic memory and that seems to serve me really well in oh, doing some of this so research. With <laughs> oh, I wish. <laughs> and uh, so, and uh, it's also pretty interesting. Aaron and I met up to do some pretty outrageously fascinating research over the summer in Europe. And um, you can ask him a little bit more about this because mm. I'm not sure all of what I'm supposed to talk about. But <laughs> suffice it to say, we were doing infrared photography to discover previously unknown tattoos and a lot of them. Wow. I believe, if I'm correct in saying, it is currently the largest collection of heavily tattooed individuals from the ancient world ever documented. Oh, 
exciting. And, uh, hopefully, <laughs> hopefully we'll be allowed to talk about it. It's very exciting. While we were over in Europe, we got to do a, a presentation together about tattoo archaeology. So he had a slideshow prepared and, and he, he went through a lot of what he does. And one of the slides, the very first one, had a ceramic figurine, uh, or sorry, like a ceramic yeah, I suppose a, a clay mask yeah. of some kind from, oh, okay. it might have been Chimu culture. I, I can't quite remember. But mm-hmm. it has examples of what were likely tattoos as part of the engraving in the ceramics. And they, they flow where tattoos would flow on the face. They make sense to have been markings that were copied onto the pottery from a living individual's face as um, the reference. And what part of the world is that, sorry? I can't quite remember. South America somewhere. I, I would okay, say maybe okay. Chimu culture. Yeah. Anyway, okay. he and I were preparing our, our uh, presentation and he was preparing the slideshow and I was just looking at the images he had prepared so we could talk about them. And I was looking at that one. I had never see, seen this particular clay image, you know, clay creation mm-hmm. before mm-hmm. and i told him like wow that one's great i love the eagle coming down the eye that you know that's the head these are the wings the tail comes up like this oh my god yeah wow that's great and i asked you know i don't want to embarrass him uh, but i had asked him like how how many hours have you spent looking at this image a lot man <laughs> and this is where he and i are such a great team because mm. his his analytical brain with the patience to to dig through the data to get the hard science going and and things like that and to and with the expertise that he's gotten through professional education and my ridiculous um approach to i'm just gonna science it as hard as i can as fast I as mean, i can and i don't care honest, about the, the consequences plus photographic the memory <laughs> <laughs> yeah I'll, I'm, I'll be the one that cuts up my leg with sharp rocks and you're, right. you're the one that analyzes the thousands of pictures <laughs> <laughs> yeah oh yeah i'll do that too yeah so anyway he and i are uh yeah dynamic duo we've been involved in a lot of projects together and i i think it's just going to get to be more and more we have some pretty exciting invitations coming up for this autumn yeah i'm not sure where they stand so i can't talk about them yet but no that's fine well and if uh so like for those listening we're recording this indeed back in 2023 um uh, i'm not uh, too busy over the christmas break and everything trying to trying to get in contact with guests um but indeed but hopefully by the time this gets released at the end of january maybe i might be able to add some some more links into the show notes so uh, Ah, look there in case in case there's some exciting extra papers that we've been teasing you about here but in terms of the the sort of tattoos themselves and the methods and, and things like that we already talked a little bit about kind of what all of the different tools can do what the different methods can do and how you do that but according to kind of your own experience of being tattooed of using these techniques and these tools and that kind of thing would you say that there would be advantages to some more or disadvantages as in would there be some that you feel okay well if they had access to this kind of tool or method surely they would prefer this or or something like that i don't know this is a very i know random vague question i wasn't sure how yeah I, I, yeah i think that it it definitely comes down to culturally specific tattoo styles match the tools that they have access to or the tools that they traditionally make it's the right tool for the job nobody's using the wrong tool for the job and then continuing that tradition over hundreds of years, you know? So whether they had, if they had access to really good obsidian, they might've been using that. If they had access to copper, they were probably using that. What is it? Uh, form, form follows function. If I recall, you know, the, um, <laughs> the, the people are, people have been clever for a very long time, fully capable of creating the right tool for the job for, you know, 
a hundred thousand years. I'm not saying tattooing is necessarily that old. I'm just saying that Potential. I wouldn't put it past anybody to give it a little thought and then say, oh, actually, if I make it like this, it will perform this function with more ease or, or speed. Mm-hmm. So I think um, the styles in specific cultures and the tools that make the tattoos evolve together in tandem. And actually on that note, because I remember one of my lecturers always saying to me, just because it's the most efficient way, it doesn't mean people in the past wanted it. You know, they're like, oh, you know, we live in a capitalist society, industrialization. We want everything to be as quick as possible, as efficient as possible. But maybe people wouldn't have done that in the past. Do you know of any examples of kind of tattooing traditions where it's the process, it's the whole, you know, it, it shouldn't be fast, I guess, or is it because it's cutting skin and everything, hmm. is it generally assumed that it was done quickly? Uh, a lot of, oh, that's a really, it's <laughs> a broad question. Sorry. Um, <laughs> yeah, maybe ask, ask that same question to Aaron as well, but my answer would be, I'm curious what he would say, my answer <laughs> would be that we do see different tattooing what would that be different moments come about in the life of a person in let's say a tattooing culture where that culture may collect tattoos which relate to family status or social status or uh, accomplishments achievements achievements of your father how many children you have things like that mm-hmm. they might also have tattoos that are a a first tattoo that you get let's say like a rite of passage where you get this one if you've done this it's it's that's a really black and white kind of statement so when you let's take the tattooing traditions of borneo uh when -hmm. i went over there i was learning um, a lot about the art the history the um, techniques and what i was told was that as the men would receive their marks that identified them as one tribe or another or they'd be getting marks for, for various reasons. The, the reasons are, are really complex. It doesn't just have to do with tribal identification, but the young boys yeah. would be really curious and hanging out around the men, mm. wishing it was their turn, but it wasn't. Yeah. So they would do little cheeky tattoos on the side of little like fish hooks, you know, or like just something that they could say, oh, look, I got one too, you know, I'll be a man oh. next year and then I can get a real one. But now I've got this little fish hook for good luck in fishing. And those were made <laughs> with hand poking and they weren't really part of a tattooing tradition but they would have been just a, a, a dipping your toe in the water kind of thing. Uh, a further way to answer that question is part of what we were observing when we were doing that exciting research recently with the infrared is that in the culture we were observing the tattoos from, they, well, we need to analyze more data, data, but what we think we are seeing is an incision technique very commonly used for some motifs, but not all, and in some parts of the body, but not all, and commonly used to make a sort of wristband of incised lines. And then sometimes we see that that wristband is then later hand poked because maybe it wasn't dark enough. So, <laughs> I, I don't think yeah, that coming back to it it's, I would say it's very rare to find strict rules about what might have been happening in the ancient world. I think we're, mm-hmm. we're seeing the result of the marks that people have made and, and people are creative and flexible and individualistic. And mm-hmm. I think it'd be very hard to make very black and white broad strokes about who's doing what and that it was always that way or something like that. Because in what we've recently analyzed in those infrared pictures is that that one culture, I think we, we discovered four different techniques they were using. 
Oh wow! So <laughs> a lot of so imagination. It's, it's, uh, it's a mixing pot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. No, that's really creativity. Interesting. Yeah. I, yeah. And ingenuity. That's what it is. It's real ingenuity. Yeah. It's 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 just solving problems, answering questions, getting people to where they need to be in their tattoo journey, and hmm. crafting the tools to do so. Yeah. No. Interesting. And in terms, if we sort of spoke a little bit already, right at the very beginning, about your customers or you know your clients or, or however you like to call them um i'm never sure with with artists um how, what what the person buying the art would be called mm-hmm. but the you know how they react when they see you know that you have a, a mammoth ivory needle or something but how many of them are already interested because i imagine if people are coming to you they know your your technique and your style and and that kind of thing so were they already generally interested in that prehistoric inspiration um, of things or how, how many of them kind of learned through the tattooing process, would you say? The number is growing for the people who would now seek me out for my specialty in the, in the tattooing world. And it's incredibly satisfying because it's been, you know, a lot of work to run a successful Instagram account and, Mm -hmm. (laughs) and explain to people one at a time why I love what I do and, and how, how I find it's important and why I want to discover more about it and, and do this art. Uh, in New Zealand, <laughs> it's not common for people to understand very much about European Eurasian prehistory. Yeah. <laughs> they understand that it is a thing. They know that there are painted caves, but I wouldn't say it's commonly understood the age mm-hmm. of the caves or the significance of the, the imagery or things like that. Mm-hmm. I guess it's such a strong tattooing tradition oh, in New Zealand yeah, yes. already. Um, yeah. But there, I mean, in New Zealand, there are very strong tattooing traditions amongst the Maori and Pacifica yeah. populations, but also the Pakeha, the, the people who are foreigners to this land mm-hmm. have, this is the most heavily tattooed country in the world. Oh, there are tattoo yeah. shops in every town and every city and and it's it's the wild west of tattooing out here it's it's um really a, <laughs> an amazing place to work but the people don't know very much yeah. about the specialties i have so for me i yeah. i expect that when i move to france in april i will be mm-hmm. speaking with people who are aware and excited about art of the paleolithic i've had some people <laughs> yes so that's, that's the plan is to set up right in the middle of where all the caves are and open a shop that says, come in. I like this stuff too. <laughs> oh yeah, that'd be perfect. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I've had some people travel from other countries to come get tattoos for me. And that's mm-hmm. um, such a, an honor, you know, to, to reach a point where that's that kind of thing is happening. Yeah. Well, I remember seeing when you were doing your tour through Europe, so many of my colleagues were like, oh, okay, <laughs> this is our chance. We're going to go and get the, a tattoo from, you know, from Daniel, because it's like, yes, he's in this part of the world. Yeah, I took can... a few archaeologists over the summer. <laughs> yeah, I think Ava, yeah. you were my friend um, Ava. <laughs> that's, oh, it's your friend as well. Oh, great. Yeah, yeah that was a fun know. one. Yeah. And Tosh, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. So many, so many people I saw and went, oh, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, one day, maybe one day. <laughs> I admit I'm one of those. Well, yeah, you can just come people. visit us because we're going to live in such a beautiful place and you, you can, you know, come, come visit us, see the caves, you know, that's, that's going to be my draw, my, my hook line. Like, don't you want to see the caves? <laughs> and the, I, I plan to set up within 50 meters of the French National Museum of Prehistory. Uh, which is where that's where I want to set up my tattoo studio I'm quite excited and then I'd like to work as a security guard at night and just press my face up against the glass and go that's the plan (laughs) there you go if anyone's walking around the museum at night and sees a a tattooed man pressing his face against glass that's why uh, you know who that would be well it's me I'll be working there as a security guard at night (laughs) 
<laughs> He'd be like, yeah, it's fine. Just keep walking around. It's okay. Just leave me in peace. <laughs> take, the, take, take the china. It's okay. <laughs> take the coffee mugs. <laughs> I don't care. <Yeah. laughs> Just leave me, leave me alone. And so, Look, it's the Magdalenian bison. Oh my God, oh my God. <laughs> yeah. So for those of people listening who may be either in terms of kind of art or tattooing or another kind of art or creative process, I ask all of my guests this, those of them who have specialized in sort of one might say more of a niche topic, I guess, within the kind of broader artistic topic. What kind of advice would you give? What if you look back at kind of your own path in, in finding your kind of finding yourself as a tattoo artist, what would you have done differently? Basically, yeah, if you could see a younger version of yourself, what would you say to them? What advice would you give to them? I suppose it depends a lot about who that person is, what their motivation is and how they want to pursue it. Uh, for me, my tattooing career uh, started at the same time as my parenting life. So I've been doing it as, as a, a, f- a small family business from the beginning. And, and that's been a huge part of my journey. My best advice would be to find a teacher who matches your goals, passions, objectives, mm. and commit to that relationship. Because for me, that has worked out so beautifully. And now I'm, I'm trying to return the favor karmically and, um, and teach somebody else. Mm. And I'm finding that very fulfilling as well. So I think as well, the best thing I've done in my career is use social media to reach out and and just contact the people you would like to be speaking to because a few years ago you and Aaron and Gino and Tasha these these were people who I looked up to but you were uh, role models but not colleagues (laughs) and now because I reached out and started speaking to people your colleagues I get to participate in this world even though I don't have any certification I have something to offer and I guess the the confidence to take a step towards you know bigger things is uh, it can be intimidating but it can also reward you with the the greatest and most fulfilling things you're doing for your professional life so yeah take confident steps i guess would be my advice yeah i would i would just echo that as well and say to people listening because i did some very similar stuff to people on instagram and things as well who i yeah looked up to and was like and then at some point i was like i'll just message and just say hey you know i was wondering if i could ask you some questions and and yeah they replied and we're really friendly and you know then we collaborated and now we're friends and, and it's then really... everybody's nice yeah yeah, yeah look at us yeah, now it's this so is odd. great <laughs> Yeah. Well, we've talked a lot about a couple of upcoming projects, but is there anything else that you would, uh, you know, last last chance to do some more plugging uh, before uh, before we wrap up? Uh, anything else exciting on the horizon, or any other projects coming up that you? Oh, want to I'm putting mention? a lot of a lot of uh, attention to my move, my upcoming move. Um, we've got to sell our house, and so I've got to sell my tattoo studio, finish training my apprentice. I've got to study French, things like that. I'm pretty busy, uh, but yeah, I'm working on. Um, a little bit of reconstructive illustrations of Pazeric tattoos with Aaron and Gino, <gasps> looking at differences that were not illustrated quite correctly by the original excavators, because I assume they had a mummy that was deteriorating and trying to sketch yeah. it really quickly. And that state was not really possible. Yeah. And then the skin blackened and then without infrared, they couldn't see the tattoos. So now with a little bit of new technology, we've got some imagery we can work with. So answering oh. some new questions there. I don't know if that's going to, how that's going to be published, but it's going to be pretty cool. Yeah. And I hope to be doing a bit more stuff uh, with experimental archaeology, looking at Egyptian tattooings, tools, techniques, methods. I had spoken a bit with Dr. Ann Austin about that before, okay. uh, PhD Egyptologist, but I also got very busy and um, 
I guess that one's probably on the back burner, but <laughs> looking into specific tool research for other specific cultures and replicating that same kind of project where we analyze uh, tool marks and expand that database would be something I'm always going to be working towards in some way or another. You're going to be covered with tattoos by the end of it. Yeah, I know. A new, yeah, new tattoo studio, hopefully in April, in the heart of Dordogne in oh, France. Dordogne. Oh, right amazing. where all the caves are, right where there's prehistory. There's, it's in the center of a few museums and stuff. So if you are into that, I would love it if you come and visit me in my space there. Uh, I'll be right. starting up a studio called Ancestral Arts. Oh, okay. You're changing the name there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Perfect. Well, thank you very much for joining me today, Daniel. That marks the end of our tea break. If anyone wants to find out more about all of the things we've been talking about today or tattooing tools in general, do check the show notes. And very excitingly, we will be hearing even more about tattoos uh, next month, uh, where I'll be joined by Aaron Dieter Wolf, who we've spoken about today. And for those of you who are members of the Archaeology Podcast Network, there's even more exciting news because both Daniel and Aaron will be joining me together in a special bonus episode to talk a bit more about their recent collaborative research projects. So make sure to keep an eye on that. I hope that everyone enjoyed our journey today. If you want to help support this show and of course, all of the other amazing series that form the Archaeology Podcast Network, you can become a member. You'll be helping us to create even more amazing content and more bonus content and ad-free episodes. For example, also we have bonus content, our quarterly online seminars, looking at different topics within archaeology. For more information on all of this, check out our homepage at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com. See you next month. I hope that you enjoyed our journey today. If you did, make sure to like, follow, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And I'll see you next month for another episode of Tea Break Time Travel. This episode was produced by Chris Webster from his RV traveling the United States, Tristan Boyle in Scotland, DigTech LLC, Cultural Media, and the Archaeology Podcast Network, and was edited by Rachel Roden. This has been a presentation of the Archaeology Podcast Network. Visit us on the web for show notes and other podcasts at www.archpodnet.com. Contact us at chris at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com.